chapter seventeen of sowing and reaping by francis e w harper this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter seventeen i am sorry very sorry said bell gordon as a shadow of deep distress flitted over her pale sad face she was usually cheerful and serene in her manner but now it seemed as if the very depths of her soul had been stirred by some mournful and bitter memory your question was so unexpected and-and what said paul in a tone of sad expectancy so unwelcome it was so sudden i was not prepared for it i do not said paul ask an immediate reply give yourself ample time for consideration mr clifford said bell her voice gathering firmness as she proceeded while all the relations of life demand that there should be entire truthfulness between us and our fellow-creatures i think we should be especially sincere and candid in our dealings with each other on this question of marriage a question not only as affecting our own welfare but that of others a relation which may throw its sunshine or shadow over the track of unborn ages permit me now to say to you that there is no gentleman of my acquaintance whom i esteem more highly than yourself but when you ask me for my heart and hand i almost feel as if i had no heart to give and you know it would be wrong to give my hand where i could not place my heart but would it be impossible for you to return my affection i don't know but i am only living out my vow of truthfulness when i say to you i feel as if i had been undone for love you tell that in offering your hand that you bring me a heart unhackneyed in the arts of love that my heart is the first and only shrine on which you have ever laid the wealth of your affections i cannot say the same in reply i have had my bright and beautiful daydream but it has faded and i have learned what is the hardest of all lessons for a woman to learn i have learned to live without love oh no said paul not to live without love in darkened homes how many grateful hearts rejoice to hear your footsteps on the threshold i have seen the eyes of young arabs of the street grow brighter as you approached and say that's my lady she comes to see my ma'am when she's sick and i've seen little girls in the street quicken their face to catch a loving smile from their dear sunday-school teacher oh miss bell instead of living without love i think you are surrounded with a cordon of loving hearts yes and i appreciate them but this is not the love to which i refer i mean a love which is mine as anything else on earth is mine a love precious enduring and strong which brings hope and joy and sunshine over one's path in life a love which commands my allegiance and demands my respect this is the love i have learned to do without and perhaps the poor and needy had learned to love me less had this love surrounded me more miss bell perhaps i was presumptuous to have asked a return of the earnest affection i have for you but i had hoped that you would give the question some consideration and may i not hope that you will think kindly of my proposal oh miss gordon ever since the death of my sainted mother i have had in my mind's eye the ideal of a woman nobly planned beautiful intellectual true and affectionate 
and you have filled out that ideal in all its loveliest proportions and i hope that my desire will not be like reaching out to some bright particular star and wishing to win it it seems to me he said with increasing earnestness whatever obstacle may be in the way i would go through fire and water to remove it i am sorry said bell as if speaking to herself and her face had an absent look about it as if instead of being interested in the living present she was grouping amid the ashes of the dead past at length she said mr clifford permit me to say in the first place let there be truth between us if my heart seems callous and indifferent to your love believe me it is warm to esteem and value you as a friend i might almost say as a brother for in sympathy of feeling and congeniality of disposition you are nearer to me than my own brother but i do not think were i so inclined that it would be advisable for me to accept your hand without letting you know something of my past history i told you a few moments since that i had my day-dream permit me to tell you for i think you are entitled to my confidence the object of that day-dream was charles romaine charles romaine and there was a tone of wonder in the voice and a puzzled look on the face of paul clifford yes charles romaine not as you know him now with the marks of dissipation on his once handsome face but charles romaine as i knew him when he stood upon the threshold of early manhood the very incarnation of beauty strength and grace not charles romaine with the blurred and bloated countenance the staggering gait the confused and vacant eye but charles romaine as a young handsome and talented lawyer the pride of our village the hope of his father and the joy of his mother before whom the future was opening full of rich and rare promises need i tell you that when he sought my hand in preference to all the other girls in our village that i gave him what i never can give to another the first deep love of my girlish heart for nearly a whole year i wore his betrothal ring upon my finger when i saw to my utter anguish and dismay that he was fast becoming a drunkard oh mr clifford if i could have saved him i would have taken blood from every vein and strength from every nerve we met frequently at entertainments i noticed time after time the effects of the wine he had imbibed upon his manner and conversation at first i shrank from remonstrating with him until the burden lay so heavy on my heart that i felt i must speak out let the consequences be what they might and so one evening i told him plainly and seriously my fears about his future he laughed lightly and said my fears were unfounded that i was nervous and giving away to idle fancies that his father always had wine at the table and that he had never seen him under the influence of liquor silenced but not convinced i watched his course with painful solicitude all remonstrances on my part seemed thrown away he always had the precedent of his father to plead in reply to my earnest entreaties at last when remonstrances and entreaties seemed to be all in vain i resolved to break the engagement it may have been a harsh and hard alternative but i would not give my hand where my respect could not follow it may be that i thought too much of my own happiness but i felt that marriage must be for me positive misery or positive happiness and i feared that if i married a man so lacking in self-control as to become a common drunkard that when i ceased to love and respect him i should be constantly tempted to hate and despise him i think one of the saddest fates that can befall a woman is to be tied for life to a miserable bloated wreck of humanity there may be some women with broad generous hearts and great charity strong enough to lift such men out of the depths but i had no such faith in my strength and so i gave him back his ring he accepted it but we parted as friends for a while after our engagement was broken 
we occasionally met at the houses of our mutual friends in social gatherings and i noticed with intense satisfaction that whenever wine was offered he scrupulously abstained from ever tasting a drop though i think at times his self-control was severely tested oh what hope revived in my heart here i said to myself is compensation for all i have suffered if by it he shall be restored to manhood usefulness and society and learn to make his life not a thing of careless ease and sensuous indulgence but of noble struggle and high and holy endeavour but while i was picturing out for him a magnificent future imagining the lofty triumphs of his intellect and intellect grand in its achievements and glorious in its possibilities my beautiful daydream was rudely broken up and vanished away like the rays of sunset mingling with the shadows of night my aunt mrs Rowland celebrated her silver wedding and my cousin's birthday by giving a large entertainment and among other things she had a plentiful supply of wine mr romaine had lately made the acquaintance of my cousin jeanette Rowland. she was both beautiful in person and fascinating in her manners and thoughtlessly she held a glass of wine in her hand and asked mr romaine if he would not honour the occasion by drinking her mother's health for a moment he hesitated his cheek paled and flushed alternately he looked irresolute while i watched him in silent anguish it seemed as if the agony of years was compressed in a few moments i tried to catch his eye but failed and with a slight tremor in his hand he lifted the glass to his lips and drank i do not think i would have felt greater anguish had i seen him suddenly drowned in sight of land oh mr clifford that night comes before me so vividly it seems as if i am living it all over again i do not think mr romaine has ever recovered from the reawakening of his appetite he has since married jeanette i meet her occasionally she has a beautiful home dresses magnificently and has a retinue of servants and yet i fancy she is not happy that somewhere hidden out of sight there is a worm eating at the core of her life she has a way of dropping her eyes and an absent look about her that i do not fully understand but it seems to me that i miss the old elasticity of her spirits the merry ring of her voice the pleasant thrills of girlish laughter and though she never confesses it to me i doubt that jeanette is happy and with this sad experience in the past can you blame me if i am slow very slow to let the broken tendrils of my heart entwine again miss bell said paul clifford catching eagerly at the smallest straw of hope if you can not give me the first love of a fresh young life i am content with the rich aftermath of your maturer years and ask from life no higher prize may i not hope for that i will think on it but for the present let us change the subject do you think jeanette is happy she seems so different from what she used to be said miss tabitha jones to several friends who were spending the evening with her happy replied mary gladstone don't see what's to hinder her from being happy she has everything that heart can wish i was down to her house yesterday and she has just moved in her new home it has all the modern improvements and everything is in excellent taste her furniture is of the latest style and i think it is really superb yes said her sister and she dresses magnificently last week she showed me a most beautiful set of jewellery and a camel's hair shawl and i believe it is real camel's hair i think you could almost run it through a ring if i had all she has i think i should be as happy as the days are long i don't believe i would let a wave of trouble roll across my peaceful breast oh annette said mrs gladstone don't speak so extravagantly and i don't like to hear you quote those lines for such an occasion why not mother where's the harm that hymn has been associated in my mind with my earliest religious impressions and experience 
and i don't like to see you lifted out of its sacred associations for such a trifling occasion oh mother you are so strict i shall never be able to keep time with you but i do think if i was off as jeanette that i would be as blithe and happy as a lark and instead of that she seems to be constantly drooping and fading annette said mrs gladstone i knew a woman who possesses more than jeanette does and yet she died of starvation died of starvation why when and where did that happen and what became of her husband he is in society caressed and looked on by the girls of his set and i have seen a number of managing mammas to whom i have imagined he would not be an objectionable son-in-law do i know him mother no and i hope you never will well mother i would like to know how he starved his wife to death and yet escaped the law the law helped him oh mother said both girls opening their eyes in genuine astonishment i thought said mary gladstone it was the province of the law to protect women i was just telling miss bassinket yesterday when she was talking about woman's suffrage that i had as many rights as i wanted and that i was willing to let my father and brothers do all the voting for me forgetting my dear that there are millions of women who haven't such fathers and brothers as you have no my dear when you examine the matter a little more closely you will find there are some painful inequalities in the law for women but mother i do think it would be a dreadful thing for women to vote oh just think of women being hustled and crowded at the polls by rude men their breaths reeking with whisky and tobacco the very air heavy with their oaths and then they have the polls at public houses oh mother i never want to see the day when women vote well i do because we have one of the kindest and best fathers and husbands and good brothers who would not permit the winds of heaven to visit us too roughly there is no reason we should throw ourselves between the sunshine and our less fortunate sisters who shiver in the blast but mother i don't see how voting would help us i am sure we have influence i have often heard papa say that you were the first to awaken him to a sense of the enormity of slavery now mother if we women would use our influence with our fathers brothers husbands and sons could we not have everything we want no my dear we could not with all our influence we never could have the same sense of responsibility which flows from the possession of power i want women to possess power as well as influence i want every christian woman as she passes by a grog shop or liquor saloon to feel that she has on her heart a burden of responsibility for its existence i hope my dear that a nation as well as an individual should have a conscience and on this liquor question there is room for woman's conscience not merely as a persuasive influence but as an enlightened and aggressive power mamma i think you would make a first-class stump speaker i expect when women vote we shall be constantly having calls for the gifted and talented mrs gladstone to speak on the duties and perils of the hour and i would do it i would go among my sister women and try to persuade them to use their vote as a moral lever not to make home less happy but society more holy i would have good and sensible women grave in manner and cultured in intellect attend the primary meetings and bring their moral influence and political power to frown down corruption chicanery and low cunning but mother just think if women went to the polls how many vicious ones would go i hope and believe for the honour of our sex that the vicious women of the community are never in the majority that for one woman whose feet turn aside from the paths of rectitude that there are thousands of feet that never stray into forbidden paths and to-day i believe there is virtue enough in society to confront its vice and intelligence enough to grapple with its ignorance End of chapter seventeen